You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Harvest Niagara. So glad that you're here uh, to worship with us on Canada Day weekend, and happy Canada Day. Well, that's tomorrow. You guys, wow, you guys are quiet already this morning. Okay, so let's, start, let's just start right over, okay? Good morning, Harvest Niagara. Hey, there we go. All right, okay, you're here. So happy Canada Day weekend. Glad that you're here to worship the Lord this morning. Um, couple things. First off, uh, first of all, we are glad and excited to have a lot of our kids in the service with us this morning. It's a uh, special morning, um, kind of these... These long weekends, we're going to have families in the service, and then, uh, so we're glad that you're here. Welcome, kids. And then secondly, uh, Pastor Daryl is uh, off and preaching at uh, Harvest Mississauga, or Hope Mississauga this morning. And so please pray for him as he's uh, traveling up there, traveling back and preaching there. And uh, he just wanted to let me, uh, tell me to let me, let you guys know that just so that you would know that he's not uh, off somewhere under a pine tree sip, sipping on a Pepsi Cola or something like that. So, um, so that's where he is this morning. And uh, this morning I have the joy and privilege of starting off our new summer series in the book of Judges. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up uh, to the book of Judges. We're going to be in Judges chapter 1 and 2 this morning. And uh, as, we, as we get ready for this series, really what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the book of Judges. And uh, in the book of Judges, what we're really going to see is we're going to see a lot of broken heroes. We're going to see a lot of people that uh, are regular people that God uses in great ways, but we're also going to see a lot of people that are flawed people, a lot of people that ultimately point us to the one true hero, that point us to the only hero that can save, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we are going to look at this book in the Old Testament, Judges, and we are going to have our eyes and our gaze pointed and fixed on Christ as we walk through this book. And so just to help you find it, if you're still trying to navigate your way there, um, you're going to start out in Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. There you go. You got it. Okay, if you can't find it, um, just look over at your neighbor. They've probably got it. Take their Bible and give them yours. Okay? No, don't do that. Okay? All right, I'm just messing with you, seeing if you're listening. Okay, here we go. So we're going to jump in to the book of Judges, two chapters this morning. That's a lot. Okay? That's, you're like, we're going to be here till Christmas. No, we're not. Okay? We're going to do a big overview on chapter one, and then we're going to dig into a few details of chapter 2. And so let's kind of just start out right here this morning. Um, Where does Judges, where does this book fit into biblical history? Obviously, it's an Old Testament book, and it's early on in the Old Testament. But let me just kind of put it into perspective for you. Judges, okay, happens after Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he led them right to the edge of the promised land, but they did not enter in. Then Moses hands off the baton of leadership to Joshua. And Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land. So you're thinking, oh, they made it. Okay, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's an easy time. Well, not quite. 
He's led them into the promised land, but they haven't fully conquered it yet. There are all of the nations that were there. Most of the nations, uh, they end with it. Um, they're still there, okay, most of them. Um, so you've got the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Midianites, the Moabites, and the Googleishites. I just made that last one up. Still, just seeing if you're listening, okay? There's no Googleishites, okay? So he's got all these nations that are there, and... They, are, they have been pushed back a bit, but they have not been removed from the land. And so Judges is happening at a time before there was a king in Israel. And so just think about that for a second. This is before David, before Saul, okay? Moses leads the people out of Egypt, passes it off to Joshua. And when they get into the land and Joshua dies, who does Joshua pass the baton to? You're right, no one. You're like, leadership fail. Come on, Joshua, pass the baton. No, 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 it wasn't supposed to be that way. God was to be the king of Israel. God used Moses to lead the people out and Joshua to lead them in, but God was to be the supreme ruler, the king over the people. They were to follow him, worship him, yield to him, and have him alone as their king. And so Judges takes place when yes, God is the king of Israel, but what we see in the book of Judges is that the people of Israel are not always yielded to the Lord. They're not always willing to follow the Lord. And so this morning, we're gonna pick up in Judges chapter one and two. This morning's message is really called words of, of warning to wandering hearts. And I think if we're honest this morning, we're gonna see a lot of similarities between the people of Israel and ourselves. I know as I was studying this this week, you know, I was kind of working through it and thinking, really, Lord, this is the passage? And the Lord's like, yeah, really, this is the passage. This is the one that you're preaching this week. And it was one of those ones where it, it's hard to preach because you got to get it yourself and you got to see this in yourself. And, you know, this week as I was working through this, I could see in myself that so often I am quick to wander. I'm quick to stray. I'm quick to turn away from the Lord who has been so gracious and so good to me. And so this morning as we dig into this, as we dig into, uh, look over chapter one and dig into chapter two, I just want to take a moment right now before we go any further and I just want to pray. I want, I want to invite you to pray too in your own heart, just bow your head. Let's just, ultimately I understand that there are no words that I can say that can change any heart here. There's nothing that I can do um, to even change myself ultimately, but God can change hearts. God can soften hard hearts. God can draw back wandering people. And so let's just bow our heads. So let's just take a minute right now. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to lead us as we enter into his word this morning. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we proclaim that you are king. You are king of kings, Lord of lords. You are holy. You are righteous. You are pure. You are perfect in all of your ways. But God, you are good you are gracious and you are merciful to us. And God, we pray, Lord, that by your mercy this morning, you would soften our hearts, Lord, that you would break up any hard and impenetrable ground that may be in our hearts right now so that we can receive the word like a seed going into the soil. Lord, we pray that you would plant the seed of the word deep in our hearts, that it would spring up and it would bring forth fruit. God, only you can do that. And so we ask it of you this morning, Father. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would stir us, Lord, that you would open our ears, Lord, that we would not cast condemnation on the Israelites and not see these same sins in ourselves, God, but that you would make us open to what the Spirit is saying through the word. 
And Lord, that you would ultimately point us to your son, Jesus Christ, the one who can heal, forgive, and restore, and save. Lord, lead us now, we pray, in the name of Christ and for his glory. Amen. 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 So as the people of Israel came out of Egypt and were coming into the promised land, the Lord was very clear in his instruction towards them. The Lord didn't just send them towards this land and say, well, hopefully you guys figure it out when you get there. He actually gave them very clear instruction and he told them in Numbers 33:55, he told them very clearly and he warned them very clearly that they must drive out the inhabitants of the land, that they must not just push them back and kind of coexist with them, that they needed to drive them out. Now, these are pagan nations who worshipped false gods and had many wicked, evil, and vile practices that were ultimately um, completely sinful and would lead the people astray. And here's what the Lord said in Numbers 33:55. He said this to the people of Israel, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes, wow, that's a strong image, and thorns in your side, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. A strong warning from the Lord. That the people of Israel, when they are to come into the promised land, they are not just to kind of live there peacefully with the other people and adopt their lifestyles. They are to push them right out of the land. Remember, this is the land that God has given them. And what we're going to see in the book of Judges over and over again is that it is primarily around this one commandment. This is what you need to do when you come into the land. This is what you need to do. This is the one commandment that everything begins to fall apart on. It is Israel's unfaithfulness to this one commandment. And I don't think it's just unfaithfulness to carry it out. I think it's unfaithfulness to take it even seriously. I think we're going to see that as we dive into this a little bit. But here's the first thing that we need to see as we get into this passage. First of all, we need to see this. First and foremost, right out of chapter 1, is that disobedience always comes with consequences. Disobedience in our lives, in the Israelites' lives, in, in any life, it always comes with consequences. Amen. You're like, well, I don't like consequences. Then we should learn not to like disobedience. We should learn to love obedience. Listen, in any parent in the room gets this point, and you're like pinching your kids. You're like, listen up, listen to this guy. He's got good stuff to say. Come on, come on, sit up straight, right? We all get this point. This is like a parent's life work, isn't it? Okay, from the years that they're old enough to... Pretty much like as soon as they're born, I would say. They, they know how to disobey right away. Isn't that crazy? Okay. Um, until they're about, oh, taller than you probably. This is your life's work. To teach your children that there are consequences when we choose the way of disobedience. I know this is an ongoing conversation at our house often. It's like, well, I don't want to sit on the stairs. It's like, well, then you shouldn't have hit your brother and stole his stuff. Go sit on the stairs. But listen. You know, as we, as we come into this text, as we begin to look at chapter 1 here in this, what we actually see in chapter 1 is we see Israelites, we see their victories and their failures as they enter into the land. And if you look down at chapter 1 with me just for a second, what you're going to see is you're going to see this. You're going to see a few verses here that are dedicated to talking about their victories, okay? So chapter 1, you're going to see up to about verse 26 that kind of talks about their victories, but actually, to be honest, it actually stops somewhere back around verse 19, verse 20. Um, and you have uh, Judah. Judah, in verse 19, cannot drive out uh, the inhabitants of the land uh, because, because they had iron, uh, chariots of iron. 
Okay, the Canaanites had chariots of iron and they, you know, controlled the valleys and the lowlands and so they couldn't drive them out. And then we also see that uh, Benjamin didn't drive out the Jebusites. We're not told why, but they kind of just let them live there with them in Jerusalem. But then we see, starting down in verse 27, we see ultimately the failures of the rest of Israel to complete the conquest of the land. Okay, notice this. Manasseh, verse 27, did not drive out the inhabitants. Okay, flip over. And we see um, that they subjected them to forced labor, but um, Ephraim also did not drive out the Canaanites. Look down to verse 31. Asher did not drive out the Canaanites. And look down again to verse 33. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. So we see the people of Israel come into the land. They somehow think that they can pass on God's commandment, that they can bypass it, and that everything will be okay. As you begin to read this chapter, and I would encourage you, go back this week, read this for yourself, work through it, okay? Work through this passage. Don't just take my word on it. They think they can bypass this one commandment. And ultimately, what happens in the book of Judges is this goes terribly wrong for the people of Israel. They attempt to kind of push them to the outskirts, make peace in ways, and coexist there in ways, and it just doesn't work. These people, um, the, 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 the tribes and the people around them, the foreign nations, ultimately draw them in to their pagan, idolatrous worship. And the ultimate snare that the people of Israel fall into over and over again is worshiping false gods. Well, you think about, you think about the Ten Commandments. You think about, you know, really the first column of commandments. It's a pretty big deal to worship false gods, isn't it? According to the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's go with that one for number one, right? You shall make no graven image. Let's put that one in there. Well, the people of Israel, they kind of take a pass on this one. They kind of begin to, you know, attempt to integrate the things of the culture into their own lives. And so this morning, I'm just going to be straight up with you and just honest with you as we get into this message. Basically, that's what we see in chapter one, but I'm going to be straight with you as we dig into chapter two. This is probably not going to be the most encouraging message that you've heard in your lifetime. Um, some messages are super encouraging, like what we heard from Romans 8 last week. That was a really encouraging, great message. And to be honest, those are my favorite to deliver is the, you know, encourage you, bless you, big smile messages. We need those, but we also need messages of warning. We also need messages of correction, of rebuke, of pointing us, saying, don't go in this direction. Just don't go there. It's not going to be good. Listen, in a message of warning, God is being gracious to you. Do you understand that? God is saying, don't go this way. If you go that way, it's going to lead to this place, and it's not going to be a good place, but instead, go this way. In a message of warning, it's ultimately the Lord Jesus saying to us, don't walk down the wide road. Walk down the narrow road because this road leads to life. This road will lead ultimately to death. Now, there's some warnings that we come across at times in everyday life that uh, we kind of laugh at, don't we? Um, you know, like the warning on your blow dryer, okay? The warning on your blow dryer is it says, don't use this in the shower. You look at that and you're like, I was never even going to dream of that. Like, how does that even make sense? Water running on my head, I'm going to plug in this electrical thing and bring it into the shower and try to dry my hair while it's getting 
wet. It do doesn't even make sense. We kind of laugh at that, and you know, I have not um, been tempted to do that at all in like the last 15 or 20 years at all. And if you don't understand that, then look up, and you'll understand why. Um, but but we laugh at a warning like that. We're like, nobody's gonna do that except for one bozo who is going to try and blow dry their hair in the shower and then sue the company that made the blow dryer, right? Of course. Um, so they have to put the warning on there. But then there's other warnings that we see that are, you know, they're, they're kind of serious. And we're maybe driving down a road and we see a, a sign that says, caution, sharp turn ahead. If the road is snowy, we take that very seriously and we slow right down. Uh, if it's less snowy, we take it a little bit less seriously, but we do slow down and we do mind that warning. But then there's other warnings in life that are just absolutely serious, right? Absolutely serious. I remember when we were a kid, we used to have these bottles, and I don't know if they do this, but whenever you'd have chemicals or anything um, with harsh chemicals in it, it would have a warning with a skull and crossbones on it. And I remember when we were kids, if you saw a, a bottle of something that you know, had a, a little exploding picture on it that you could maybe kind of play with that one, but you didn't want to get caught, okay? Um, we got into a bunch of stuff we probably shouldn't have, right? But the skull and crossbones, you don't touch that thing. Because in the mind of a child, it's like if you just touch that, you're dead, okay? And, that, and that's it. It's over. And so, you know, mom and dad would warn you, like, they'd pick up that skull and crossbones bottle and they'd say, you don't even touch this. If you touch this, you see what will happen? It's right there, right? And you're just like, <gasps> you take that warning seriously. Well, listen, as we come to God's word today and we dig into chapter two, there's some warnings in here that we are to take very seriously. We're to take them seriously this morning, okay? God, in his grace, is warning us ahead of time, saying, don't go down this road. Learn from this example. Turn and walk in the way of righteousness. Disobedience always comes with consequences. He's warning us of that this morning. But, but more than that, think about that for a second. The warning that, you know, disobedience always comes with consequences. We could just do a show of hands and we could just put up our hand and all um, agree on that uh, this morning. But do we really get it? Do we really get it in our own hearts this morning? Do we get it in our hearts that, that our disobedience, my disobedience, my sin always comes with consequences? I hope that we do. But listen, even partial attempts at obedience that ultimately result in the failure to obey are still disobedience, aren't they? The Israelites attempted to take the land and to do what God had said, but then they ultimately deviated from that and gave up on that. And here's the pattern that we're going to see in the book of Judges. I think it's already up on the screen there. But this is the pattern that we're going to see repeated over and over again in the book of Judges. You know, we ask the question, where did things go wrong for the Israelites as they came into the land? What went off the track for them? Here's the pattern that we're going to see. The people of Israel come into the land and they, they follow the Lord. But then sin begins to creep in. And then ultimately it gets worse and worse till they come to the point where they're enslaved. And then they cry out for help. And then as they cry out for help, they're delivered from their captors and they begin to follow the Lord again. But you'll notice that this is referred to as the, the downward spiral of disobedience. Do you understand that about our sin? That sin is a downward spiral, the downward spiral of disobedience. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so every time 
that the Israelites walk through this cycle that you see every time they go through this and then repeat it. Their sin gets worse and worse. They become more enslaved. They, 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 They are taken advantage of more and more. They cry out for help. God delivers and they follow the Lord, but they don't follow the Lord as wholeheartedly. They don't give themselves to the Lord as fully as they did at the beginning. And they also follow the Lord for a shorter time. And this is the pattern that we're going to see traced through the book of Judges. I'm just going to put this before you right now. The reason that I put this before you right now is because I think that this picture that we have in Judges should serve as a warning, as a reminder for us. Is this our pattern? Is this our pattern in our relationship with the Lord? Did we start out following the Lord very strong? And then did sin, old sin, creep back into our lives? And then did we give ourselves to that sin so much that we became enslaved to it? This is really the picture that we're really to get here out of Judges is is not about a physical people, not about um, that sort of thing, not about a physical slavery, but about the spiritual slavery. And has that happened? And then, then maybe we have a season where we're grieved over our sin and the bondage that it's causing us and we cry out for help and the Lord is gracious enough to deliver us but then we don't walk in the freedom of it. We follow the Lord a little bit, but then we quickly turn back again. Is this the pattern at work in your life right now? Is there a downward spiral of disobedience happening in your own life? You know, this pattern, this pattern can be broken, but it can only be broken by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. We don't need to walk in this pattern. We don't need to walk in this pattern of of sin, confess, enslaved, sin, and confessing just over and over again, cycling in this way. We can walk in the freedom and the grace that the Lord provides, but we need to do it in His way. And we need to rely on Him for that strength. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And so let's dive into this a little bit right now. Um, Chapter 2, we're going to spend our time in chapter 2, the rest of the time that we have left. Okay, chapter 2, here's what we need to see right now this morning. Chapter two and point two. Okay, point two in this message. God in his grace has warned me ahead of time. He's warned you ahead of time, okay? Sin, disobedience, always comes with consequences. God in his grace has warned me ahead of time. God's grace to me is the fact that he warns me. He uses his word to warn me. He uses his messengers to warn me. He's warning us. And really there are six primary warnings that we need to get from this text. Okay, six warnings. Here they are, words of warning for us right here. The first one, don't turn away from the example of faithful leadership. Don't turn away from the example of faithful leadership. We're going to see that right here in the passage. We're going to see this in verses 6 through 8. I want you to look there for a second. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We're just going to work through the rest of chapter 2 here together. When Joshua dismissed the people... The people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. There it is. Joshua dies. Joshua passes away. He goes to be with the Lord. And immediately... 
After Joshua goes to be with the Lord, the people of Israel begin to turn away from his example. They begin to turn away from the example that was left by Moses and the other faithful leaders. They begin to pursue the false gods of the nations around them. They begin to engage in the practices that the Lord had forbidden. They begin to intermarry with these uh, pagan people. They begin to embrace their false deities. I just want you to think about this for a second. Do we, are we going to be a people that are going to turn away from the example of faithful leadership that has been handed down generation after generation after generation, century after century after century? Are we going to be a people that is going to take a pass on the word of God? Are we going to be a people that is going to say, yeah, the word of God's helpful and it's, it's good, but it's not necessarily inspired or inerrant. Are we going to be that people? Lord, may it never be. We're not going to be that people. But listen, this generation that we see right here in this text, no sooner than Joshua had died, they began to move away from what the Lord had commanded. They began to step back. They began to reinterpret what God had told them. Well, maybe we don't have to drive out the people. Maybe we don't have to do it exactly the way that God said. Maybe we can, you know, kind of do these things and have this sin and yet have a great relationship with the Lord at the same time. It cannot happen that way. It does not work that way at all. You cannot have your sin and have a great relationship with the Lord. Why? Because God has ordained it. God has made it so that he will be the only king of your heart. And if you want to give that throne to another king, he will give it up for a time and say, you know what? If you want your idols so bad, have them until you're absolutely sick of them and disgusted by them and see that there is nobody else who can love you and care for you the way that I can and then you will turn and come back to me. But will we be a people that will turn away from the example, the faithful examples of faithful leaders that have come before us in the past Will we be the people that turns away from the examples of maybe the great reformers or of of the the great believers from from years in, in the past? May it never be. May it never be. May we always cherish the faithful leaders that God has given us here. Now, we don't put them up on a pedestal, uh, but we do thank God for them and we do pray for our leaders. We should be constantly praying for our pastors for our elders, for the leaders of this church, that they would remain faithful to God's word, that that God would sustain them, that he would use them to continue to lead us in this way. Let's pray for the leaders of our church. But here's the second thing. Here's the second thing right now. Do not neglect, beware, do not neglect the next generation. Do not neglect to disciple the next generation generation. We see this right here in verse 10, okay? Verse 10 is, is kind of, this is a really a key verse as we understand what went wrong in the book of Judges, okay? Verse 10. And all that generation also was gathered to their fathers, okay? That didn't mean that they came home to their dads. That means that they, they died, okay? That's what that means, all right? Okay, and all that generation was also gathered to their fathers, okay? So, that, so they died, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. We got to think about this one for a second. Okay, I want you to try and wrap your mind around this for a second. Just kind of work through what's happened here. Okay, the people of Israel, they come out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. They come right up to the edge of the promised land. 
okay? But they cannot enter into the promised land. They are disobedient. God sends them into the wilderness until that entire generation dies off, correct? Then, through the leadership of Joshua and Caleb and faithful faithful men, God leads the people into the promised land, okay? And they begin the conquest. That's presumably around a generation. They are now in the land, okay? And as that generation, Joshua's generation, as that generation dies off, what we see is we see verse 10 at this point. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, get this, who did not know the Lord. How is that possible? I mean, think about it for a second. That's like, look out at this congregation right now. Okay, everybody who is 20 and above, okay, put your hand up. Okay? All right, you're dead. You're all dead. Okay? <laughs> Just for illustration's sake. Okay, everybody who is 20 and below, put your hand up. Okay, you guys are alive. And there is not one believer among you in this room. Church, would we say that that's a discipleship fail? Absolutely. I, I can't figure out what went wrong here. I, all that I can possibly think, and I'm, I'm speculating here, I get that. All that I can possibly think is that the people of Israel were so focused on the battle, they were so focused on building their homes, doing the things that they do, that somehow they had compartmentalized and said, well, I guess there's maybe, you know, seasons for discipleship. And we're going to have a great season of discipleship after we get done with this season of warfare and home building and having fun and all of these things. And then we'll have a, a season of discipleship. Maybe that's what happened. I'm not sure, but, but somehow they did not disciple the next generation. They gave up on that generation. They basically did not teach them what it meant to follow the Lord. They did not pour themselves out into the next generation so that they would grow up to know the Lord. Now, I think if, you know, we were to say, well, you know, most of the generation followed the Lord, but there were some who didn't, I think that we could understand that, you know, there were some good intentions, but ultimately, and they did a good job, but everybody has to make their own decision whether they follow the Lord. But that's not what it says, is it? It doesn't even say that 90% of the people turned away from the Lord yet 10% were faithful. It says the entire generation turned away from the Lord. All that I can really see that is, is a massive discipleship fail. They did not take seriously the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6 or what was written in Psalm 78. They did not invest in the next generation. Will that be us, church? Do we have seasons of discipleship? Are we a people that say, well, it's summer, I'm just going to take it easy this summer, and I've got lots of fun things I want to do, um, and I know that I need to disciple my kids, but you know what, we'll invest in them in the fall. Fall is discipleship season, okay? Summer, summer's fun season, but fall is discipleship season. Do we do that? Are we like that? You know, do we, do we take the summer off from investing in our kids and harvest kids or uh, harvest students? I hope not. Every season is discipleship season. We are to invest in the next generation every step along the way, every possible opportunity that we have. There arose a generation after them that did not know the Lord or the work of the Lord that he had done for, done for Israel. May that never happen here. Here's the next warning. Beware of this warning. Beware of gradually drifting away from the Lord. Isn't it so subtle? Isn't it 
you know, one day you're following the Lord, you're all in, you're 100% eyes on Jesus, you're going towards him, and then the next day you're kind of just like, I'm just a little bit off today. And then you're, you know, I'm a little bit off, and you start to turn back, and then you kind of, I'm a little bit off, and then all of a sudden you just realize, I'm turned around completely backwards. I'm not even really truly following the Lord in my life anymore, and I've drifted, I've drifted away from following the Lord. I think that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. I think even during Joshua's day, they were probably drifting. And when Joshua died and that generation died, they could move on and do the things that they really wanted to do away from the Lord, apart from the Lord. Why don't you look down at verses 11 through 15? We'll read these together. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Baal is a, a false deity. Um, from, the, from the pagan people around that area, primarily from the Canaanites and the Philistines. Um, that was, they, they followed Baal. Baal was an idol and a false deity. And they abandoned the Lord, verse 12, and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger, and they abandoned the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Up until this point, the people had been drifting gradually, but this is their ultimate drift. This is their moment of decision where they decided to turn away from the Lord and ultimately serve Baal and these other false deities. This, you know, this happens gradually. The shift happens gradually, but there always comes a moment of decision. There always comes a moment when you say, no, I'm not going to go in that direction anymore. I am going to go in this direction. Beware. Beware, church. Beware of the drift that causes you to begin to turn in the wrong direction. Beware of the moment of decision that leads you to pursue the wrong direction. Amen. We can easily miss these things. That's partly the reason why it is so important for us to be involved in a small group and to be accountable with other believers who will check in on us, who will come alongside us, and who will say, I, you know, I'm praying for you. That we can be honest with and we can share with, I'm struggling in this area, and they can exhort us and they can encourage us and rebuke us and lead us. That is why this is so important because Hebrews chapter 3 tells us, tells us so clearly that we are to encourage and exhort one another daily, lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of our own sin, causing us to turn away from the living God. That, that's a reality in each of our lives. That could be a reality. May it never be. May we always submit to the Lord. May we guard against drifting away from the Lord, drifting away from his word, lessening what he says in his word. But I also want you to notice this in verses 11 through 15. Beware, don't get captured by the gods of our culture. Beware and don't get captured by the gods of our culture. I want you to think about our culture today. You know, it's interesting to look at the Israelites and what happened then, but, but it's way more relevant and important if we look at what's happening right now in our world and in our lives. And I believe this text that we're reading today has tons of personal application for our lives today. As the church in North America is on the cusp as a whole, okay, as a whole, on the cusp of being completely captured by the false gods 
of our culture in North America today. Would you agree with that? The church at large. I'm not saying there's not, you know, pockets of faithfulness that God's not doing great gospel works in lots of places. Absolutely, let's pray for that. But the church at large is basically capitulating to the whole movement of humanism in society today. Just one compromise after another. If you, if you don't see that, just open your eyes to it. But are we in a place individually where we're beginning to be captured by the gods of our culture? Are you being captured right now by materialism? Is your heart all about material wealth? Are you being captured by self-image, by self-help, thinking that you, know, you can be the solution to your problems? I'm not sure how that makes sense. If I am the problem... It's highly unlikely that the, prob- that the solution will come from within me. And I stand back and look at myself, I'm like, man, the problem's not out there, the problem's in here. And if the problem's in here, then I probably can't solve it myself either. Maybe I should look somewhere else for the answer. That's a really good starting place. Let's go with that one, okay? Are we getting captured by the false god of relativism? Well, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe, and it's all true, as long as you really believe it. Well... I believe that what you believe is not true. So does that mean that what I believe is true or what you believe is true? Because I know what I believe is true, and I'm saying that what you believe is not true, so I guess that means that, that what you believe is not true. Well, now you're being divisive. Now you're being intolerant. Okay, that's the false god of our culture today, right? That you can make any statement about truth that you want to unless you say that anything that anyone else believes is not true. That's an unacceptable statement. Wow. And this is what's happening. This is what was happening in Israel at that day. They were, same sort of thing. Just, it's just repackaged different, that's all. So let's not get captured by the false gods of our society, of our culture today. But here's another one. Here's another one. Don't despise God's deliverance. Don't despise God's deliverance. The people of Israel, I think if you really look at it, they despised God's deliverance. Yeah, they wanted to be delivered, but they never wanted to be under God's rule and under his authority. They wanted the freedom that God offered them, but they didn't want God's kingship and lordship over them. I think that this is a real problem in the church in North America today. So many people want the salvation that Jesus Christ offers, but they don't want the lordship, and they don't want to have to be obedient to Christ, and they don't want to have to follow him and to lay down their life for him. Look at this. It's right here in verses 16 through 18. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now notice this. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. If these people of Israel really would have loved God's deliverance and really would have truly cherished it, do you think that they would have listened to their judges? Absolutely. The judge comes in and delivers them and sets them free, and they're like, hey, we're not listening to you. Forget it. You know, thanks. Thanks for the freedom, but but we're going to keep doing it our way. That that is a clear-cut sign of a hard heart, isn't it? Thanks for setting me free. Thanks for setting me free, Lord. But I I think I'm going to continue going this way. That's not real repentance. We see here that the people of Israel drifted, that they wandered away from the Lord, that they, that they really didn't turn back to the Lord. Yet they did not listen to their judges. They whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon, they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord 
was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by the groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Let's not be like the people of Israel here. Let's not cry out to the Lord for freedom and then simply, as soon as we're set free, turn away and pursue the sin that got us into the slavery in the first place. Let's have hearts that are soft, soft to the Lord, receptive to Him. Let's not fall back into that pattern that we saw earlier on the screen of sin, confess, sin, confess. Let's, let's turn to the Lord. Let's yield to the Lord. Let's receive His deliverance and His forgiveness. I think that D.A. Carson has a pretty good summary of this passage right here when he says this. I think this will be up on the screen, this service. Um, he says this, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. It's a sad, but I think often quite a true commentary on a lot of the church today. May it not be true of us. May we not drift away from the living God. May we not stray away from Him gradually, one bit and one step at a time. Listen, this is the direction that the children of Israel willingly chose to go. They chose not to obey God's voice. They chose not to drive out the people that were there. They chose to do the exact thing that God said, do not do this or you will be ensnared. And they chose not to walk in the freedom that he offered. And so today, we need to ask the question as a church, are we going to be a people that are going to take the Lord's warning seriously? Are we going to be a people who are going to walk in the way that God has called us, the way that God has commanded? Will we be a people that war against our own sin, our own personal indwelling sin in our lives, that go to battle against it? Will we be a people that pursue righteousness at all costs? Will we be a people that invest in the next generation to disciple them so that they will grow up to know the Lord, so that they will grow up to walk in His ways and to be faithful to Him? Will we be a people that contemplate the sacrifice and remember the sacrifice of the faithful men and women, the believers that have come before us, that have even laid down their lives so that we could have the Word of God, so that we could live in a nation where, where we can walk in open obedience to it? Will we continually remember how good and gracious the Lord is to us to warn us ahead of time? Why does God warn us ahead of time? He warns us ahead of time to tell us that's where that road leads to and it's nowhere good. And he warns us ahead of time to call us back so that we can walk in the way of life, so that we can receive his grace, receive his mercy, and delight in him. And listen, this morning, ultimately, the Lord is calling each one of us to himself. And whether you're here for the first time and you're here and you've never really, you know, you just came to church because somebody invited you. You've never really heard a lot about Christ. You've never really, you know, studied the Bible before. Well, the Lord is calling you. God Almighty, the one who created all things, is calling you 
to yield your life to him, to surrender your life to him, to make him the God of your life and to follow him. Whether you're here this morning and you're a believer in Christ and you've been walking with Christ many years, but you know, in the last little while, things have kind of felt dry. It's felt like something is off and you're not positive what that is. Whether you're here today and you know, you're in a season where you're just honestly wandering from the Lord. You're a believer. You would call yourself a believer. You'd profess to be a believer, but you're just, you're wandering. You're going your own direction. Listen, whether you're in any of these places, if you're here and you're a believer today and you love the Lord and you're walking faithfully with Him, there's a call for each one of us to respond here this morning. If you don't know the Lord, there's a call to respond. If you know the Lord, but it's a dry season, there's a call to respond. If you're wandering, there's a call to respond. If you're walking faithfully, there's a call to respond this morning. And so where do we start with this? Well, let's start right here. Three things up on the screen. First one. First of all, we need to recognize. We need to recognize the helplessness of our own situation. We kind of touched on this before. The helplessness of our own situation. Ultimately, the human heart is deceitful. Our own hearts, our own minds, our own lives are deceitful. We give ourselves to the things that will destroy us, the things that will kill us. We give ourselves to sin primarily that will kill us spiritually. We need to recognize the helplessness of our own situation. We need to realize that if the primary problem is in here, it's inside of me, as we already said, that the source of help is not going to come from in here, it's going to come from out there. And it's going to come from out there in a very specific way, a very specific form, and a very specific person named Jesus Christ, the one that God sent into this world to be the Savior of all people who put their faith and trust in Him. And that's it this morning. We need to recognize how helpless we are, but then we need to receive. We need to receive the grace and the help that God provides. God has provided us with infinite grace and help in the form of His Son, Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that we can cast all of our cares, all of our burdens, all of our sins, all of our sorrows onto. He can forgive everything. He can make us right with the living God. He can set us free. He can redeem us. He can wash us, and we can be new in Him. I can't do that for myself. I can't do that for you, but He can do it for you. Why? Because his death on the cross, when he willingly laid down his life for us, is our path to freedom. Through faith and trust in him, everything can be forgiven and we can be on a new road. We must receive his grace, his offer to set us free. We must receive the help that he provides. And then the third thing, we must respond. We must respond with a heart of genuine worship and adoration. And that response of the heart is not just a response of, I'm going to sing loudly on the last song. Great, sing loudly on the last song. That's wonderful. But that response of genuine worship is a life that is ultimately yielded to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, a sacrificial life. Okay, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us to be living sacrifices, to pour ourselves out in response. The best way that we can thank God for our salvation, for our freedom, is to walk in the way that he wants us to walk, yielding and delighting in him. That is the very best way that we can worship and adore the Lord, is by yielding our lives towards him. And so maybe this morning, maybe you're here and maybe you just feel like you've been wandering Today's the day to come back to the Lord. Today's the day of repentance. Today's the day of turning. Today's the day of confession of God. I've just been wandering from you. I've been restless. My heart has been hard. I've been giving in to this sin and this sin. God, I just need your forgiveness today. 
Maybe it's that day. Maybe today, you know, if you're in a really good place with the Lord, maybe today's a great day where you thank the Lord for that season and what he's doing in your life and you pray for someone that you know is wandering this morning. Maybe you just make these words your prayer this morning. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I admit, I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to drift towards hard-heartedness, to drift towards callousness, to drift towards complacency. I know in my own life that I don't just drift towards holiness, that the only way to grow more in holiness is to set myself every single day over and over again before Jesus Christ and say, here I am, I am yours. Take me, lead me, I give myself to you. Purify me, wash me, and use, you, use me for your glory. That's the only way. Anything but that is drifting and drifting away from the living God. And ultimately, drifting leads to disobedience and disobedience always comes with the consequences. So church, I pray that we would hear the Lord's warnings and that we would respond this morning. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we admit this morning that we are prone to wander. God, we admit today that we are quick to turn away from the God that we profess to love. Lord, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to recognize the helplessness of our situation. God, that we would not put any hope in ourselves at all, that we would put all hope in Jesus Christ and that we would receive from him the grace and help that he provides. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to live lives of genuine worship that yield to you. God, may we take these warnings seriously. May we surrender to you. May we seek you, Lord. May we walk in your ways. Lord, we pray for this church that you would keep us faithful to your word, faithful to you. Would you be on the throne every day, Lord? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.